We're uh, in the middle of a series called It's a Phase. And we're talking specifically about the next generation. We're talking specifically about families. We're talking about, you know, this season of life with children. Um, and we're not talking just to parents, although a lot of stuff is for parents. We're talking to the church, the church community, in terms of how are we engaging, how are we investing in the next generation, and what are we facing? What are they facing? What are we facing as we attempt to do that uh, in, the, in the different phases of them kind of growing up? And, and, and the, the subtitle is what I want you to see, Don't Miss It, okay? It's, it's phase, don't miss it. It's gone before you realize it. It's over, isn't it, Beth? It's gone before we realize it, right? Like it comes and goes so quick. Uh, we don't want you to miss it. We don't want you to fear it. Uh, we don't want you to miss it either. And so um, that's, we're in the second week of that. So last week we talked about how God sees kids and the charge for us as parents, as we talked about even just the little preschoolers and babies uh, last week. Here's some of the verses that drive our series. This is Proverbs 22. Direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. That does not mean, it's not a promise, it's a proverb, it's wisdom, saying that this is how you kind of stake uh, in their heart a foundation of truth and, and, and who God is. And it doesn't mean they won't wander. It doesn't mean they won't make, they can choose for themselves whether they want to keep, make their faith their own. Um, but the wisdom behind the Proverbs is that if you are helping them direct their faith in, in terms of the direction of pursuing God, then more likely than not, they will find their way back to that path or not leave it at all. Here's the other verse we read last week, uh, just kind of in terms of our theme verses. Right, this is the message paraphrase, by the way. I decided to do that this week. Write these commandments. Uh, it says on your hearts that I give you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. How do you do that? Well, we're not talking about you know, feeding them or anything like that. We're talking about indoctrination. That's what it's called, putting right doctrine in, putting truth in. He says, get this inside of you and then get it inside your kids. Continue. It says, talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. This is where we talked last week about all the time, everywhere. You, you're you're going to take advantage to tell the next generation about the, great, the goodness and the greatness and the great power of God. All right? So again, last week we started talking about the little ones in terms of babies to preschoolers. Um, just this idea of faith over formulas. Don't, don't worry so much about, you know, a lot of parents get kind of ca caught up in, my kid's got to, you know, get this preschool in order to get this elementary education or to get this. It's like a formula, like A plus B plus C in order to kind of craft the perfect child. Uh, I don't know if that exists, but there's a lot of people trying to sell people on formulas, and a lot of parents kind of fall for that. And we just said, look, you really focus on faith over formulas. Focus on direction. Focus on purpose uh, and direction for their life. Go to the next slide. Uh, faith over formulas. And then the three things we talked about was modeling, especially with the little ones, engaging in the wonder of who God is and just kind of re helps us because every time we see children engaging in the wonder of God, it's supposed to be a reflection of the kingdom of God to us. It's supposed to be a reflection of the innocence of the heart and the trust and the faith of a child. Uh, discipline, which we know is loving correction. Okay, We're going to talk a little bit more about discipline today, but it's, it's a loving correction, not, not, a, not a punishing or a, you know, you know, just disciplining to try to control it's, it's, it's more than that in terms of biblical discipline. And the third was patience, you know, especially with little ones. The patience which, which, which is there to help us lovingly support them and to create the safe place they need. 
especially as young as they are, they need to say, they need the, the love part is the primary word. They need to be surrounded with love over time so that they understand the safety and security they have, not just with you, not just with the church, not just within the community of faith uh, and friends and families that kind of share values, um, but that they get, it will anchor them in terms of their emotional um, uh, energy and emo- emotional personalities. Uh, it'll anchor them in what is true. Today I want to talk a little bit about the next phase, which is really more of our elementary age up through adolescence, okay, early uh, teenagers and teenage years. This phase is obviously covering a lot of years, but there's a lot of commonalities in terms of what those kids are facing. Um, I want to go ahead and give you four things that are marked by that generation, by these two generations growing up. Gen Z, it's the back end of Gen Z and the front end of uh, uh, Gen Alpha, all right, in terms of these kids. Um, Depending on when they were born, they're marked by the last recession, the 2009-2010 recession, and the pandemic, depending, again, how old they were when it hit. There's an element of that which is marked by, their culture is marked by those two things. Um, they might have experienced it differently, and their families might have experienced it differently, but they still are, their culture is fully marked by it. They are fully connected. This is, these are the generations that are growing up fully connected and integrated with technology, okay? I still remember, you know, when the cell phone came out, you know, and pagers and you know, the, the kitchen phone with the long cord. Like, I still remember that, okay? Uh, I remember dialing five digits in my small hometown instead of, instead of seven. Anybody else do that? Anybody else other than me? Okay, yeah, yeah. I still remember that era, right? My kids have no clue about that. Because ever, ever since they've been born, they've been just at a, they've been like, a, hey, Alexa, away from instant information, right? They're, 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 uh, they're, they're fully integrated with technology in their life, and that's great, but they also have access to all this information without any help, without any guides, without any coaches, without any teachers, without any librarians, without any parents. They have access to all of it, and that can come with some dangerous stuff, too. Uh, they're marked in a culture that's relationally and sexually fluid, okay, in terms of gender fluidity. This all starts very young. We'll talk about more about that today, but why that's the case, but it kind of marks this individualistic culture, the radical, radical individualism we've talked about as a church. Um, they're also marked by a post-Christian culture, okay? Post-Christian, again, I, I, just to help you understand it, it's not like an anti-God culture or a, or a pagan culture, okay, that, you know, maybe had happened years ago. Post-Christian culture means um, that they understand the concept of God and Christianity and the church because they were somehow exposed to it, or at least in the culture they've been exposed to it, they understand it or have been exposed to it, and they've still said, no thanks. They've still decided, no thank you. I don't want that. They don't trust religion, because religion is just, Christianity is just one of many options, is how they've been taught, and they don't trust the church, okay? So just understand, this post-Christian culture is a part of what marks um, these two full generations and what they're going to be walking into. I want to talk really quickly about what they need from us in terms of the parents and the community of faith that we are. What does, what does this phase of kids need from us beyond just the modeling and the patience and the, and the discipline? Get a little bit more specific. I'm going to start by telling what, t- kind of introducing what they don't need, okay? Hopefully this, this will be helpful because I think we have to acknowledge sort of like the drift or the leaning of parents in our cultural age, uh, what they do not need from us 
is they do not need a hands-off approach to parenting. Or, as we're going to talk about, a drop-off approach to parenting to match this individualistic culture and spirit that's within them. Again, with all the information at their, at their disposal, kids are growing up faster, they're growing older, younger, okay? And that individualistic culture that they're surrounded by only fuels their spirit to want to be free of authority, free of rules, free of the labels, free of the things in, you know, that, that surround them. They want to be free of all these things much earlier than they should be. And what they don't need are the parents, listen to this, the parents, the millennials, the Gen Xers, and Gen Y, they don't need us who have overcorrected from the parents before us, which were over-controlling and, and helicopter parents, right? Like we were basically like trying to overcorrect from that problem. And so they don't need us to be sort of hands-off or fall or drift into this sort of drop-off culture that we see happening with our kids and with parenting. Now, I want to tell, I'm going to talk a little bit about technology today, and, and just kind of in a brief way, how technology has changed this for the majority of parents in our culture, all right? Now, most of us that were, you know, maybe 30 or older, 35 or older, um, you were raised still somewhat in a generational gap where you know, you had a lot of free time, you had a lot of free play, uh, you might have had your run of the neighborhood, you might have had your run, I had the run of my entire town, like I grew up in a small little fishing village, man, I had the whole, the whole town, I'm on my bike, out everywhere, you know, we, we sort of grew up in this era where a lot of this, you know, was, this was our free time, this is how we spent our time, after school, and on weekends, and during the summer. But nowadays, our culture has said a majority of that is now unsafe. Okay? Now, there are some legitimate reasons why that's unsafe. It's true. But there's a lot of just around that that's just unsafe, which now requires a lot more parental supervision, which, let's just be honest, is a limited resource. Parental supervision is a limited resource. And I'm not sure we have more than our parents had. I'm pretty sure we have less in terms of the resources at our disposal in terms of parental supervision because that's what's now required for play dates and to let them go outside and to do the things that we used to do oftentimes as, you know, in terms of our freedom as children. So technology came along. Not just the TV, but computers, tablets, cell phones, gaming systems. All these things kind of came along and filled the void right, came to the rescue and filled the void to capture children's attention, to capture their time, to capture their imagination. This is how, this is where technology sort of came to the rescue for parents, and now we see a culture that leans really heavily on technology to help sort of, I don't know you want to use the word poorly, but co-parent their children in terms of supervision and in terms of influence. Oftentimes, that's, in, in our current culture, that's just a good day when the kids aren't fighting, you know? Why? Because they were on their tablets, right? They're not fighting. They're not arguing. They're not, I have to work at home. I can't give them my full attention. Again, I get it. Parental supervision is a limited resource. But technology pushes us still more towards the drift of a hands-off, drop-off 
approach to parenting that matches this individualistic culture and spirit in them. What they need is a hands-on, very intentional. When I say intentional, just understand, it's like whack-a-mole, right? You're not going to hit all of them. I know some of you guys think you can. You're not going to hit all of them. But the ones you hit, you hit, right? Like the ones you, you, you want to get as much as you possibly can. And that requires intentionality into where you're going to focus your energy, focus your time. And from a biblical worldview as Christian parents and as a community of faith, you are going to be pushing them and raising them in an interdependent counterculture compared to what our current culture values. Okay, just, just understand that. From a Christian perspective and from a biblical perspective, everything we're raising our kids in, if we're doing it according to God's word, is going to have an interdependent nature to the family of God. The reason we need each other, the reason we need community, the reason we have parents and generational authority, the reason there's a blessing upon generation and generation, right? There's a reason to all these things that are going to be, it's going to be countercultural to what our current, again, radical individualistic society values most so you need to know that you just need to know that up front like what our kids don't need is to just drift along with the current the current that's there what they need from us in many ways is going to be pushing some things upstream which not only requires a lot of parents but it requires a community of faith that surrounds parents to help them to embolden them to encourage them now You've heard me say this before. These are three things that I've said many times talking about this in terms of raising kids. This is a mantra. I pulled this from uh, Dr. James White. He's a pastor and author here in Charlotte. He's written several books on the rise of the nuns and Generation Z and Generation Y and uh, millennials. And so very cool stuff. But I remember hearing it, reading it and hearing him talking about it. And then it just became a mantra for me. Just a simple handles as to what do, what do they need? What do our kids need in this phase of life from their parents? They need us to be informed, be engaged, and be in charge. Let's just all say those three things together, the whole church, even if they have kids or not. Let's just say it. They need us what? To be informed, be engaged, and be in charge. That's what they really do need from us. Let's just break this down. I'm not going to spend too much on each one. But being informed, I want to talk a little bit about the content and frequency that our current generation is dealing with in terms of what we need to be informed about, okay? Let me just go down a few, a few avenues. This is a quick list of some of the new phrases, right? And when I say new phrases and new language, your kids talk like this, okay? And I just want you to know, if it makes a list like this, the shelf life is more than half over already, on most of these terms going into other terms. We had a conversation in the office trying to describe what chuggy means. All right? Kids, you guys all know what I'm talking about? Chuggy? Yeah. Chuggy, if I were to say anything's to, any of these words to you right now, I would be chuggy. Okay? It would totally be that. It would be very uncool. All right? But only two people in the office had ever even heard that word before. And yet its shelf life is almost half over in terms of it being used. They have their own language. Listen, parents, they do not want you to speak their language to them. Hear me say that. That, that is chuggy, okay? Do not do it. Do you need to know what they're saying? Yes. Ask your kid. 
What does that mean? When you read their text from their friends and their friend says something like that, ask them what it means. And if you're not reading your kid's text, shame on you. You should be. All right? Well, what about their privacy? They don't have any. They're children. Don't care. We're going to disagree about that. But, if you, but if you, you need to know what their language is. You just need to know it. You need to have some understanding. Be informed. Because they do have their own language. That's true. Especially when it comes to technology. How about this? These are the top 10 songs. Really quick list pulled from Spotify. Top 10 songs streamed in Spotify for 2023. Now you may look at this and say, well, my third grader doesn't know these songs. You'd be surprised. They might. If they don't know those songs, their friends do. And they may not know the whole song, but they know a part of it because of TikTok and Reels and everything else. They know a part of a song because it was in their favorite show. They know part of this music because it was in their favorite movie they've watched over and over and over again. Now, really quickly, just to, I'm not going to you know, spend here too long, but look, over half of this list of songs have to have, according to standards, an explicit language tag because of the lyrics. Over half of these songs that are in the top 10 streamed songs have to have an explicit tag. Seven out of the 10 can be accessed through YouTube Kids. Maybe not by the original artist, but there are alternative versions. There are alternative, you know, that get in and through those filters for kids so that kids can listen to Unholy, right? It could be a kid's bop version, but they can listen to it through their filters however they want, but it doesn't change what the lyrics say. It doesn't change the message of the song. Is that everybody with me? You have to be informed. Why? Well, here's some of the scripture. And, and understand, listen, parents my age, you know, did we have, were there songs in the 80s, 90s, and whatever that, that were filled with garbage lyrics? Of course there was. Of course there was, right? But I had to sit around a radio for days sometimes <laughs> and pray that I would hear the song one more time. You know, TV, I used to have to, it would take years to ingest a series. Now it takes a weekend. Everybody with me? Content and frequency. Now it takes a weekend. Now it's on, on demand immediately through social media, through music apps and everything. Like, we just have to understand. We have to be informed of that. Here's some of the verses that, that kind of challenge us. This is from 1 Chronicles 12. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of that tribe with their relatives. And all of these men understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course for Israel to take. This is something important. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and God oftentimes kind of took the tribes and gave them special function and purpose within the context of the whole. The tribe of Levites were priests. They led worship. We learn that the tribe of Issachar, they were specific to the people of, of Israel to help them <coughs> be informed to help them understand the signs of the times. So why? So they could help discern which way to go to help them understand the actions of moving forward. Here's the Proverbs, uh, that wisdom comes, right? Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. You have to be informed before you can even help have wisdom to discern what you need to know and what way to go. Here's how Paul said it to the church in uh, Philippi. 
He said, this is my prayer, that your love may abound. More and more, in knowledge and depth of insight. He wants us to know things deeply. That's true. And then he goes on to say, that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He has set us apart. He wants us to be pure and blameless. But, but there's an aspect of that that we have to know what's going on around us. We have to be informed of what our children are facing, what the next generation is facing. I'm going to give you a few things more about technology, then we're going to move forward. But um, Common Sense Media shares these stats. Um, between 9 and 12, about ha- almost half of kids 9 and 12 already have a smartphone. And I know you're a parent in the room, and you're just like, not my kid. Right? Not my kid. That's fine. But their friends do. Does that make sense? Their friends have them. Almost half. By the time you get to 11 and 12, three quarters, 13 to 14, uh, almost 100%, 91%. Here's a few things maybe you didn't know. VPNs. Uh, You might briefly know what this means basically in a concept of work or corporate world. Do you know why kids need VPNs? Do you know why they can share them from phone to phone uh, without even having to download them? Because virtual private networks allow them to get around school filters. So all the public schools have the filters, so you can't get on social media and you can't do this and that. So kids just download VPNs and they're free and they use it to get around school filters so they can manage their social accounts and so on and so on. My kid doesn't have any social accounts. Wrong. They have hidden social accounts. Why? Because there's 20 to 30 mobile browsers. 20 to 30 mobile browsers. I know in your head right now you're thinking there's three. There's 20 to 30 mobile browsers. On, that can be used on smartphones that can be also hidden because their icons can be hidden uh, or, or you can create, they have clear icons so you don't even know it's there, right? And they can manage all social media and email all within the context of their browser. You don't even need to have the app on your phone. Now, I'm not saying this to make you scared. I'm not trying to still fear. You need to be informed. Do you know how to read deleted texts? Because they're pretty easy to do on most phones. Kids don't want me to tell you that, but it's pretty easy to do. And if you don't have that, there are third-party apps that can pull it all up for you. Now, I don't, again, I don't say this to try to create watchdogs in you. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that you are their parent. You need to be informed what they're listening to, what they're watching, what they're saying, the language of their friends, the circles they hang out in. You won't let them go down the street and play on their own because of safety. But you won't read their text? You have no idea what they're saying to their friends or what their friends are saying to them? Like, that's dumb. Understand, like, pay attention. Be informed. You can't know everything. That's not the goal. You can't know everything, but you can know the resources and tools, where to go get them, You can look at the Christian sociologists and common sense media, and you can have these tools that can help you stay informed. They need us to be engaged, okay? And again, this shows up very differently depending on the age, but definitely when they're younger, there's a lot of indoctrination. Don't think of the negative word, again, of indoctrination. Indoctrination basically means put right doctrine in you. That's what we do. Schools indoctrinate. Families, churches, homes, not just cults. Okay, this is, this is, indoctrination is not a bad thing. We want to put right information and right doctrine and right truth in you. It's what to think. 
But then you also have to, just as important, you have to have intentional education, which is how to think. You need to help your kids critically think. Why do you believe that? Why is that true or not true? A lot of kids will go all the way through high school and head to college, and they've only ever been taught what to think. And never been challenged to, to thinking manner about how to think. And then, this is most important, spiritual navigation, right? How to apply it. How do you apply what is true to every facet of your life? Because our faith is supposed to influence every facet of life. School, friendships, relationships, ed education, everything. Like it's supposed to be there. And, and our parents, you as parents in the community of faith, are there to help spiritually, teach them to spiritually navigate and how to apply this to their life. This is why the drop-off model doesn't work, okay? And again, drop-off model is very simple. It's the, it's the culture, okay? You want to get your kids ready for uh, school? Send them to preschool. Drop them off at preschool. You want to educate your kids? Drop them off at school. You, you want to socialize your kids? Drop them off in an after-school program so they can hang out with friends and learn something, you know, and do something. You want to uh, give them a skill or a talent? Drop them off at sports. Drop them off at music. Drop them off at dance, but it does not work if you want to help them critically think or spiritually apply the information that they're given and what they believe. This requires, again, intentionality. Let me give you a quick example. This is going to be our read-along passage. If you've got your um, scripture card that's in front of you, um, probably in the pocket in front of your chair or on the chair in front of you, uh, Romans 8. We're going to look at this short little passage. It's a great example of just a passage of scripture that our kids need to hear us talking about and need to help spiritually navigate in their life. I'm going to start in verse 11. just going to read uh, these six uh, verses real quick. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he's going to give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you, the same Holy Spirit. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by what it dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. For who are you, or sorry, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave or fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. Okay, that's just a portion of Romans 8. And look at the powerful aspect of who are kids going to hear this from other than you, your parents, and the community of faith? That your feelings and urges do not dictate your life. That if you've given your life to Christ, if, you, if you're a Christian, you're following him, you have the Spirit of God inside you, the same Spirit of God that raised Christ physically from the dead lives in you. And by that same Spirit, you can overcome your feelings, your urges, your desires, 
and all the things the culture says is just what makes you you. You have the ability to overcome that. Why? Because you're God's kids. You do not do, you do not live this way because you are a fearful slave. You're not a slave like a master with a whip. That's not the relationship you have. You have a relationship with a daddy, a father who loves you. I mean, don't you wish you had someone in your life that shared that with you? That you weren't, you weren't bound to your urges and to your feelings and to intrusive thoughts? Don't you wish you would have had support and help people help you spiritually navigate that this was never about you following rules like a slave to a master, but that you have a heavenly father who loves you? Maybe you had that. I'm just saying, you know, this is what we're called to do. This is why it's so important to engage with this. And then let me briefly say this. Your kids are going to know it, okay? Your kids are going to see it. Like, whether you choose to engage intentionally or not, they're going to see your faith on display, and they're going to see right through it, okay? They're going to see right, they're going to see through all the bull. They're going to see right through you. They're going to see your actions, not your intentions. And they're going to see whether this thing you claim to believe is just a preference in your life when it suits you. Or is it a transcendent truth that you submit your life to? Oh, they'll be able to tell. It doesn't, hear me say it. It's not that what you say doesn't matter, but they're just, they're going to judge it by how you live. They're going to judge it by how you're living. They're going to see right through the, the words. And they're going to see your life and they're going to be like, does, does mom and dad really believe that? Does this church really believe that? This countercultural message of the sanctity of life, do they really believe it? Or is it just like everything else, a religious preference? When, they, when it chooses to be convenient for them. And it also helps us know how to communicate that to our kids and help them communicate that to others. This is from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 says, we're not going to be immature, no longer immature like children. We won't be tossed about, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. It's very, very careful. You can go a little bit too far with this, and we've seen this happen in the generation that I grew up in, where Christians tried to raise kids up in the fact that everything was evil. You know, the government's evil, people are evil, your teachers are evil, school's evil, everyone outside the church is evil. And that didn't make any sense to me because these were my friends. These were my friends and my teachers and my coach, right? But because of how the church kind of like judged first, loved second, that's what I was kind of raised with. That's what a lot of people were raised with. And so here's, here's Paul in Ephesians saying, look, there's a challenge for us, even when we have our kids. We, you know, we want to help our kids, again, discern. That, that Listen, guys. I know it sounds true, but it's a lie. It's a lie. I know that sounds true, but it's so clever. There's weaves of little pieces of truth in it. But guys, they are deceived. 
But you know what? We love them because Jesus loves them. So we will speak the truth in love. We want to do that and we want to teach our kids to do that. If you only engage with your children when you're punishing them or disciplining them or kind of projecting fear on them or it's all about control issues, your children will not trust you. Okay? My eight-year-old will believe her friend down the road, like her friend down the road that's nine can tell her something and she holds it as gospel truth. And then I say something and she's like, I don't know about that, Dad. Are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about that. Well, my friend said, you know, such and such. your friend is nine. They don't know what they're talking about. That's what I want to say, by the way. And so I, I look at that and I go, my kid can't only see me engage them when it's discipline or fear or trying to control their actions. Like, they're going to see right through how I live. This engagement is going to tell a lot. It's going to tell a lot to your kids about how you engage with them, especially by being informed again and being engaged. Let me go to the last one. It's being in charge. And this is the all the time everywhere, okay? Let me just be an encouragement to you parents. When are you in charge of your children? Two, two, two phrases. Say them with me. All the time, everywhere. One more time like you think it's true. When are you in charge? We're so close. When are you in charge? Absolutely. Now we're fighting a culture that might want to fight that against you. We're living in a culture, our children live in a culture that actually want to spread some lies about that. But the way God sees it is you're in charge. Your child was given to you to steward for a short season of time. All the time, everywhere. The hours there, that's just a, a, a Christian studies to talk about how much influence does the church actually have in terms of, again, helping spiritually navigate. It's not like we don't have influence, but when you think about it, you know, if you come to church almost all the time, we still only have about 40 hours a year with your kids to help spiritually influence them. Help them critically think spiritual things, apply spiritual things to their life. On average, most people in our today's culture, we have about 18 to 22 hours with your kids. That's it. You, on the other hand, outside of sleep and school, and let's just say you, they're public schooled and they're sleeping and eating, you have about 3,000 plus hours a year. Who's in charge? Right? When are you in charge? Yeah, that's going to take a while to get a hold of you, okay? All the time, everywhere. Which, I want you to just think about this. That doesn't just mean you're responsible. That means that you are the authority in their life. You are the final authority in their life like God is the final authority in your life. And in their life, ultimately. But for the season they're with you, you are their final authority. My wife told me the story last week where Charlie, at one point, this is my youngest, what did she say initially? She was just like, Mom, I don't need to listen to you. 
I need to obey God. I don't need to obey you, Mom. I need to obey you, God. Yeah, we, my wife set off on a very quick example of how to critically think. And we corrected her very quickly with Scripture that, no, for the season of time that you're with me, you obey me like I'm God. Okay? God put me in this place for that reason. Yes, we're all ultimately, he's ultimately in charge, but we are given this authority by God. And with it comes the heart to discipline and correct our children. And again, hear it from the loving father way it's actually talked about in Scripture. Discipline and correction. The Scripture talks about it like training us. Training us. Here's how the writer of Hebrews compares it in terms of how God disciplines us and how we discipline our kids. Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Like persevere, right? The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one who he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own kid, his own children. Who has ever heard of a child who's never disciplined? by his father. And again, I know culturally we probably have some examples, horrible that that's happening. But in the Jewish culture, that would have been such a rare thing. It says God doesn't discipline you as he does with, or sorry, if God doesn't discipline you as he does with all his kids, it means you're not his, you're illegitimate. You're really not his child at all. But since we respected, honored is another great word, our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? Again, he gives the example. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. We only get a little while. We only get a phase, right? Doing the best they knew how. There's a family I follow online called the Holderness Family. They do fun videos. They literally have a t-shirt that says adulting or something. I'm doing the best I can. Isn't that a great shirt? Like, I think everybody needs that, right? We're just doing the best we can. They, they, the correction and discipline and training that come from, from our parents, they're just doing the best they can. I talked to my mom and dad one time, and I said, you know, I made a comment to them. I said, well, I don't really feel all, that you guys sheltered me all that much. My parents were kind of surprised. They were like, well, we certainly tried. You know? They're like, we're doing the best we can. That's what Tracy and I, our kids aren't going to turn out perfect. We're doing the best we can because this is the season we have. But watch this. But God's discipline is... No, go back. Sorry, Thomas. I'm I'm too slow reading it. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. We might be set apart. No discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. Of course, it's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are, say the word out loud, trained in this way, right? That's how we are supposed to see discipline. Loving correction, the training up of our kids because you're in charge. I want to share very quickly, this is how I'll close, but I want to encourage you. This is one that got me kind of upset over the last couple weeks. Uh, There was a lawsuit in California the California Attorney General filed a lawsuit against six school districts and ordered them to end their policy that required notifying parents if a child wanted to change their gender. 
okay? The, the, the attorney general of the state sued the school systems, the six school systems, that had policies that informed parents of what was going on with their kids. Why? Because the California state superintendent of public instruction, he was quoted as saying this, I can't accept the mistreatment of these vulnerable students who I believe's privacy is being taken away. So if we cannot remove parental authority, we can at least remove parental knowledge. That's the superintendent of one of the school districts who wanted that, that suit filed. Because their case is that we have the best interests of your child, you do not. So therefore, we should have authority, and you do not. I did. I, I, I have to filter what I say. Not because of political stuff, because I, I swear in my head, so I have to filter it out. <laughs> okay, this is the Holy Spirit filter. I get so angry anytime. People try to take the authority away from parents for their children. Anytime the assumption is that a group, a coach, a teacher, a school, a government authority, doesn't matter, has the child's interest at heart over the parent's interest at heart, I get angry. Do we need policies and, 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 and support systems in place when there's true abuse and neglect going on? Yes, we do. I absolutely agree with that. I do. But the greatest threat right now, the greatest threat to parental authority and freedom, go ahead and put the slide up, is our culture's distortion of safety. It doesn't matter whether it's vaccines or masks or schooling or, you know, homeschooling or choice. It doesn't matter what it is. Culture distorts this understanding of safety in order to take away who's in charge. Who gets to make the final decision. And I struggle with that. I struggle with that as, as a dad. I struggle with that as a pastor. I struggle with that in a person who loves this country. I hate to see it. And I need to be one that just hopefully reminds you. I'm not trying to tell you to go on some rebellious crusade I'm just trying to remind you that you are in charge every, everywhere all the time for the season of time you have your kids. It's you. It's you. If you abdicate that, that, that authority, like if you say, it's okay, I'm going to just drift along with culture and let culture raise my children, I want you to understand, you can abdicate the authority that you've been given, but you will never get rid of the responsibility that God has placed on you. You're going to be accountable, I can promise you, for your kids. You're doing the best you can? Are you informed? Are you engaged? Do you remember that you're in charge? Sometimes parents have to be reminded. So here's my gift to parents today and to anybody who wants one. Now, this was just something that kind of came to mind. Um, I have a couple of these, mainly for golf, uh, when I play golf. I use these kind of chips and tokens for uh, kind of ball, ball spots. And then, you know, people use it for poker chips and um, 
tokens for sobriety and things like that. There's lots of reasons that people kind of have these, but I wanted something substantial to give you as parents. So we placed a little emblem in the middle of these chips that give you those three things as a reminder. To be informed, to be engaged, and to be in charge. The handles that God has given you as a parent, as the authority, to train up and to raise your kids. If you want to grab an extra one and give to a friend, that's, you know, that's fine too. But this is for you. We'll have them at the uh, we'll have them on the way out and the doors will be a couple baskets there uh, with these in there. I, I hope they help. I hope you just leave it in your pocket, you put it in your car, put it in your purse, put a hole through it and make it a keychain. I don't care. This is for you to remember God's call to you. And listen, for parents who take this seriously, for parents who take this seriously and really do want to be informed and intentionally engage and be in charge of their, of their kids, they need a community of faith to support them. They need a community of faith that supports them. Why? Because what we are doing is countercultural. How we are raising our children is upstream. It is, it is moving away from the drift of society and society's values. And listen, parents, we, you can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. You need this church. You need a circle, a group. You need community in your life to help you do these things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for this community that I believe has just strengthened Tracy and I as we've been raising our kids. And God, we... We're just doing the best we can, but at the same time, we, we have never felt like we've been doing this alone. Thank you so much for the, the people you've placed in our life and the families we do life with that have helped, helped us pour into our kids and try to stay informed and to be engaged and to remain in charge even for the short season of time that you have given us. May we steward that well. And God, for everyone here, that they take the token, they remember the call that you've given us that from morning till night, when we're moving, when we're stopped, when we're resting, when we're acting, how we live, how we think, God, it's all the time, everywhere. We want to tell the next generation of how wonderful you are and how great your deeds are and how you've been there for us. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.